All right. Good evening. Good evening, afternoon to us here in the states. I right, good good evening. But at least I am on the same day as you. You are the, again. The past few weeks, yeah. So yeah. again, um, we've been doing it much, a little early. This is much more sociable for me. I have to say. If, yeah. If, I'm thinking in the new year. If I just get you just used to this, then you won't want to go back <laughs> to the old time. I mean, who needs it to be more more convenient for you? Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. Well, I've I've had to move my work schedule around, so now I do work in the evenings on Thursday to accommodate this earlier. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll see we'll see how that works. It is greatly appreciated. So, uh, hi everybody. Hi. Um, we are. I think live. I haven't even pulled up my uh, my monitor yet here to see if we are in fact live. I think so. Um, I've had, I've had some a couple of things I've to say. Had so, so all the notifications. Um, um, yeah, there we go. All right, yeah, we're good. Uh, so yes, we are here in the pre-show. We're going to get to the regular show in um, half an hour or so. We are putting together the notes. Yes. Um, and you've done a great job on the notes this week, I have to say. I think uh, I got to them a little early, and good yeah. things happen when I get to them a little early. So um, I think I th- I think unless there's anything that you want to add to the general notes, I think those are pretty well and fine off. I think we can talk to yeah. enough of them. Yeah, I've I've rewritten the the blurb a bit. Um, yeah, I, I just shortened that to the base bits and figured you would add in your own language. Yeah, I've um, yeah, I did it while I was watching Master Chef earlier. So, as you yeah, do. There you go. Um, and yeah, all that, all that main stuff is um, yes, your 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 general impressions. I think were going to be very much everybody else's general impressions. Yeah, you saw you saw those, huh? Okay. Yeah. Are you? Are we going to be able to? It's no good for the audio for the audio version, but it'd be great to be able to play a bit of the video. So I don't want a copyright claim. That's the only reason um, why I wouldn't show it. Um, but we can certainly. Encourage everyone who's watching to go watch this video that's associated with the article tonight. I believe the article is linked in wherever you're watching right now. I think, with the exception of a couple platforms, you can find it wherever. Is um, not, do you get copyright issue if it's on YouTube? Because it's on publicly uh, available, isn't it? As long as we tell them where it is and stuff like that. We yeah, I mean, we had to indicate the source and like we'd have to repurpose it and. Like, like I'd want to overlay it with you the just, source. You just come up with problems, Nick. I'm, yeah, I'm disappointed. You just come up with problems. Well, here's the thing is we could do it with enough prep, t- prep time. Um, oh, so now you blame it on me again. Here yeah. Well, and then there's <laughs> there's the issue with the live format, yeah, too. Like, that. we might get kicked off a platform. I don't want to. I don't want to. Oh, that's it. true. Yeah. Let's yeah. not do that. Um, but yes, we should. We should point people at it because it, it's. Yes. Yeah, it's it is. Normal. Well, here, why don't why don't we reenact it? We're in the pre-show, so we can just oh, like, kind of. It could be just a whole of. Yeah, so there's like, you know, and for, I guess, you know what, our, our patrons are actually listening to this. So, so I'm going to describe what I'm doing as I'm doing it. So right now I'm kind of like, not quite making out with my microphone, but I'm like dancing with it. I I, I'm, I have a boom mic. And so I'm like have to be, swiveling it around as I'm moving around. We're trying to describe everything that we're doing through the medium of interpretive dance with yep. electronic media. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Anyway, um, back to the notes, I guess. Yes, back to the oh, notes. Wow. And one quick note for everyone watching, listening. Um, it is the holidays here in the States. And therefore, I have family over. And Ooh. right now, um, we have four kids. 
in the household under the age of four and under. So, with that said, if there's <laughs> any background noise, that's what's going on. <laughs> you know, get them all in to come and join us and, and liven the show up. We could. We could. <laughs> I have to open up my door. I don't know if I want to open that uh, portal. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Okay. Um, so, uh, let's see here. I, I want to get to... Um, it came from section came because from, this yeah. this uh, I found a really good one, Barry, and I Ooh. hope I hope you're on board for this one. So it's uh, it's in there now. You can read it. I'm not going to get to it, but we can because uh, I really, really, really want to dig into this one yeah, because yeah, I think that sounds fun. Because I think this one really gets at um, you know the ethics of designing for dark patterns and or uh, designing for sinful. Um, yeah. I hate using that word, but but I sinful, like uh, like it, what's the opposite of pro-social behavior? It's like it's not anti-social anti behavior, behavior. <laughs> is it? Well, it's it's anti. It's not anti-social. It's yeah, what, exactly. Uh, it's like um, mor uh, morally questionable. Morally questionable behavior. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I. I the question is is talking about designing for gamblers and i think i tend to think of this as like you know in the same vein of designing for pornography or um you know sinful sinful <laughs> right <laughs> so i mean it's a, it's an interesting discussion i i want to have it so um let's do that and then you've just brought in one um is this was this from the bank it was no, well, it was from um, one of the later. So it was when was this posted? Um, da, 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 da. Where's the date gone? Was that on the ninth? Okay, not on the eighth. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was one that I ticked. I think. All right. Um, I, keep, yeah, I keep remembering to tick occasionally, just yeah. not really as often as I should do. Let's tackle that one too. Um, no, that is. I guess that is generally more. It isn't. Is it a UX question? Really, it is more of a staff motivational question. But I think it's quite useful it's, in the in, in the current day and age. It's certainly a good question to talk about. Yes, because there's there's human resources and there's general company morale, but then there's also sort of what you can do for individual team morale, right? And yeah. I think they're closely related. And um, I'm going to ask you this, Barry, tonight. Uh, so I think just for our sake, so you mm -hmm. and I are going to record something after this. Yep. What if we just did two tonight, cut the show a little bit short, and got a head start on the second half? God. It, you're you know, messing it, with the format, but eh, I think I can, I think I can handle it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. That's cool. So, I mean, you know, if we have a 50-minute show or 55-minute show, yeah. that's okay. I don't think anyone's going to get upset with that. You know I'm going to uh, over-talk anyway, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we kid here. We kid. Because there was, which was the other one which just made me laugh? Um, oh, is there a UX subreddit that does allow rants? So uh, funny enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a plug for Blake's other um, project that he started years ago called the UX Rant Podcast. Oh, fair play! <laughs> uh, and it was just him ranting about UX stuff. 
Is he is he still got that? Anyway, he does not still have that. I think he did like no. six or seven episodes and called it done. Yeah, fair enough. So, which, by the way, if we're talking shop, uh, six or seven episodes seems to be that threshold for successful podcasts. If you can put out more than that, um, you will either it's it's like if you fizzle before your seventh episode, you're not going to be you're not going to get there. Yeah, well, if you make it past that seven episode threshold, then you're much likely to continue on for months, years. Yeah, I could sort of see that because I, I guess I'd have to go back and look at where not, where my number seven was, but I think I'd just broken the back of actually getting the bottle up to do interviews. So, um, see, yeah, if, if, so, I, if I carried on the original trajectory, I think I, I think mine would have folded. Um, but because I flexed and, um, I will yeah. have to go back and look at ours, but I think <clears throat> I think what we did, and I think this was a clever bit on my part, is that well, when I yes, it was. So <laughs> I think I had read this research like back in 2016 when I started this podcast, and I was like, "All right, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna make episode seven a two-parter." Uh, <laughs> and so we had to get to episode eight. So, <laughs> Brilliant. So that was the bridge. That was it. Um, so yeah, it was displays part one and displays part two, and those were those were back in the days when we didn't know what we were doing, and the and production quality was really really <laughs> bad. You know, I'm I'm almost tempted to like play some of that as a like, what the heck were we thinking? Uh, well, I sort of did do that yesterday. So I went. Back, um, so no. So I had a, um, a friend of mine come in and we we did this whole uh, review all, I think because I think we we're on 38 to 39 episodes, review all of them, pick your top five. Um, and then, you know, basically as an end of year roundup type thing, uh, which is coming out on Monday. Um, but that was quite interesting because I've, all the ones I had looked at were the ones I've done maybe in the second half of this year because they're the ones most forefront of my mind, as well as a couple of other ones like around, you know, when I got my first NASA interview and things like that. Right. Um, but then Joe, who who worked uh, worked on it with me, he went back right right back to episode one. Oh, and I was wow. like, "What are you doing, bringing that up? Because it was awful." You know, they you know you sort of look at it from a production perspective, and you're thinking, you know, I recorded it in a um, uh, an apartment um, hotel room where I was staying, uh, working through the week. I had really really bad gear. I didn't yeah. really know what I was doing. Uh, my editing skills were well. I'm not saying I've got good editing skills, but they were worse then, which says a lot. Um, and I didn't have, you know, I, I did have some um, um, intro outro stuff, but yeah, it was it was shocking. He was like, no, no, it's really good. It's really authentic. <laughs> like, it was authentic just mean crap. <laughs> but, yeah. So, <laughs> so yes, I had a lot of the same issues. And and here's a here's a little holiday treat for you all, I guess. As uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and play some of this audio because I I didn't I don't know what I was thinking like sponsorships and and um advertisements i didn't know i think we were just doing them to sound like other podcasts anyway i don't yes. i don't even know anyway here's your here's your holiday treat episode seven this episode of human factors cast is brought to you by audible go to audible let them know that nick and billy sent you go to audibletrial.com slash human factors cast for your free 30-day trial and a free book they have thousands of okay that's enough of that 
They have an affiliate program. I just uh, hang on. Let's. I I just pretty, I want to get to the show tasty, proper. Pretty, pretty meaty. And there's a lot of meat to this topic. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like a simple topic, but when I really started diving into it, of a display, well, uh, okay, yeah, no, that's uh, it, it's very cringe. Like going back and listening to it now. And I don't know if that's because I'm my harshest critic, but uh, it's um, it's not great. What's that? I will, I will, oh, oh, a major, major record. record. Um, oh, oh, that was oh, good, good, good. Going through this. That's because uh, that's happening. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, how often do you go back and listen to old episodes, or do you, do you just not do it at all? Because I don't. I can't. Uh, old episodes, like, mm, rarely, seldom. Um, I will go back and listen to interviews if I am brushing up on somebody's uh, research or am expected to talk to them soon. So like I just recently re-listened to our interview with Chris Reed uh, since we are talking to him tomorrow for the town hall. Um, what a great segue that was. Yeah, what a great segue that was. <laughs> if only it was we were recording. Uh <laughs> So yeah, I went back and re-listened to that just because we we I know we talked about some hard-hitting topics. We talked to him uh kind of right after um all the civil rights protests here in the states happened, right after That's George right. Floyd. Uh and, you know, him being a person of color, it was um it was a really interesting conversation to see kind of what he could bring to HFES in terms of that representation and it was um that was that was one of my favorite interviews. Uh, because, you know, we, we gave them the questions ahead of time. We didn't hold back on the, the topics that we were asking them. Anyway, it was, it was taking a trip down memory lane here, but, um, so seldom do I, do I go back and listen to those older episodes, especially the first 20 or so. Those were a completely different format. Those were more like a, a lecture series almost. Um, yeah. and it was completely unsustainable. It was not something that I really enjoyed doing. It was like. I still find it informative and I'm sure that, you know, some students now might find it interesting enough. Um, I don't know. It was uh, lots of growth. Lots of yeah, growth for I, the channel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I did my first three or four, I think, like that, where it was um, talked about users, talked about the military, talked about that. And then I think if I carried on going like that, I would I would never have made the seven because um, I think I was boring myself. Um, Never mind anybody else who's trying to listen to it. But of course, you're still learning how to do the craft as well. Right. Um, and so then I got my first interviews uh, with um, a friend from work. And I was like, oh, can, can we come and talk about, um, can I interview you? And so brought him back to the, the flat and all that. And suddenly I had cables everywhere and all this sort of stuff. And then um, we had one microphone to share between us. And yeah, it, it all went kind of downhill from there, really. Um, uh, but thank goodness we did. Otherwise, yeah, like I said, I don't think we would have made it past that. Um, um, that's that, that magical number seven, or even number five. When um, when when did you post your first episode? What year? Uh, twenty. I want to say twenty nineteen. Um, I should really know this. Hold on a sec. I shall. I shall tell you. So, so um, you're you're doing the top ten across the entire podcast, or across? Yes, yeah, so the plan okay. is for next year, um, we will do just the ones that we've done in um, 2022. Okay. But I figured, as I haven't done one yet, um, then I would, let's just go, go down, go back through the entire back catalogue. 
Um, so then it, it's it's a complete wrap up. Yeah. So 2019. So the uh, which was the first one? Oh, the, yeah. So the very first one was the, was September the third, 2019. Oh. Um, that's that, okay so that's a really interesting exercise for you um because as a host you have your favorites that you have done in terms of you know who you got to talk to and what you talked about yeah and it might be interesting to you because you've done it one way but then listeners might have a completely different perspective where they might have a different uh favorite episode did you get any listeners choice ones in well, we, I played it by. Um, I had four different different flavors. So I had my top five, I had Joe's top five, and then I had the top downloaded of all time. So okay. I used the stats to work out what was top downloaded and played. Um, and then I had. I tried to do some fancy maths because obviously some have been up longer than others, so they've had longer exposure. So right. I tried downloading the. The I tried dividing the downloads by the days that the actual podcast has been up. So, so basically, oh, you get okay. a, um, a power or an impact or greatest greatest exposure type. Thing. That's an interesting metric. Yeah, I would have gone with like you know um, first thirty days. Uh, you know, like that required I, me doing a lot more. Like stuff, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that whole uh, length of time though. That's an interesting power metric. So, like, what what does the scale end up being on? Is it like a zero to um, a zero to zero to one? No, it was it was it was, like like, a... it was bigger than that. Let me just pull up the actual. I shall pull up the spreadsheet because it's interesting. Um, oh, I found the stats. You can tell we're Amanda data nerds didn't... because we're like. <laughs> Amanda didn't find the um, the stats as as interesting as I did. I was like, oh, look at them! Look, look at them go! And then also, I found I could flex the whole uh, Microsoft Excel thing because when I was looking at the um, country data, then I can get Excel to populate a um, an actual um, map. Uh, oh wow! Decently, which is just straight out of the box. I was like, "That's that's quite impressive." Um, so, what numbers does it give me? Um, oh, you can't see it. That where's my actual um, total episodes? Yeah, so it gives me the largest number. It gave me was actually just under twelve, um, because there's because there's one that I only did ten days ago, but actually it had eighty-eight. Um, no, it had one hundred fourteen plays in oh, okay. the plays within 10 days so actually that was quite a high number um so but but again everything in the past i would say past um this year um has all got a plus one number and then obviously they're dwindling returns after that so my idea didn't oh is that because is that date shaped yes it is date shaped so but also i think there is um there's a number of factors at play that they are starting um, working with you guys, and so you can see a distinct bump in the American listenership. Oh um, wow! Uh, which was I thought uh, was interesting, but also then we step changed our um, the the audio because the, we were on the website and all that sort of stuff. So there's been a massive amount of changes here, which I hadn't quite realised. Um, but the yeah, so the, the so, some of the stats I was I was pulling out. So the where we most listen to is in California, in the, in the states. Oh, interesting. Well, so what? What is that? Like Silicon Valley? Do you do you have city data? No, it only goes down to state. Okay. Um, so California state, um, followed by Texas, followed by Washington, followed by New Jersey, Virginia, and North Carolina. Oh, Washington. Well, that's that's probably me. It, it's, it's, <laughs> you like all of the time. <laughs> it's um, but then uh, yeah. yeah. So in ter- in ter- but in terms of in terms of countries, it was really weird. Um, so United Kingdom, United, uh, UK, US, Australia, 
kind of then then you go down into like sort of Sweden, Colombia. So I don't know which drug lords are um, um, listening to it and trying to get human factors tips, but um, yeah, no, there, there was loads of stuff in, in there that was quite interesting. Yeah, um, like so, and stuff. So I gotta ask: Can we can we just have a little tease? And you don't have to tell me where. If so, is uh, is a certain podcast host among one of the tops? You're not gonna like this. Am I not? No, I don't that's think okay. Not. That's okay. No, actually, you ended up on both of the things. On I can tell you that on my list, you came number seven. Okay. And on Joe's list, I think you came number six. Ah, so close. That's yeah. okay. You you Very interview cool. a lot of interesting people on your show, so I am not uh, upset about that at all. In fact, I am honored that I am that high up. <laughs> well, no, I, to be fair, there's... Um, I think you you should have come higher in some respects, um, but I think if it had just been just talking about this year, um, but because we go back, because I, I bought out things to sort of tease the sort of things that I was talking about was you know things like when I interviewed NASA, um, when I interviewed the UK Space Agency, because that was my first um, randomly emailing people and saying, "Can I come and talk to you?" Because I'm really yeah. interested in space <laughs> things, and then um, they very kindly said, "Yes, Barry, you can come and talk to us." Um, and then also talking to people about um, the set of the ergonomics conference or what goes on in the background and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the 30, 36 episodes we had to, well, in fact, no, there was 39 episodes that, that we had to choose from. Um, so so I think if you, if you probably kept it to this year, I may have made the top five. That's okay. If you, if like you I kept said, it this year, it would have been, you'd have been one. To you'd have been number four. Okay. If it was I'll, this take year. It. I'll take it. That's no, no, okay. Number, you'd have been number three. You know what? Uh, Sorry. Uh, we really quick. We haven't been festive enough. Here's some festivities. Well, that's okay, true. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. You'd have been three this year, and you'd have been on Joe's on. You'd have been. You'd have been his number one, two. Oh wow! Oh no, you've been his number two. Okay, all right. So, well, thank you, Joe. Uh, That's awesome. So, yeah, so I, I could do some funky graphs and everything, which nobody else will ever really see because obviously it's it's an audio podcast, and I can't. I haven't quite got the skills to be able to cut it into the into the video or the time or the inclination. Um, but I might put them up with some graphics on the um on. I might do a, a blog post on the um on the website. Oh, you could- so. You could share you could share your your graph with video, right? Like like with restream, you could do uh, if you are using restream, right? You could do something like this and be like, "Oh, here's our stuff." That's true. Um, As we're talking about it, you know. That's true. Simple as sharing your screen. Um, I can't do that from this side though, can I? I can't share my screen. Oh, I can share my screen with you. Yeah. Well, Uh, you you can't do it on on uh, you can't control whether or not it's visible on on my account. However, yeah. you do it on no, yours. I could do it on 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 mine. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I should have thought of that actually because I could have I could have flashed them up at, the, at that appropriate time. Yeah. But never mind. We learn for next year. So yeah, yeah. so next year will be a. I'm going to be much stricter. Um, I've been, in fact, I've already been thinking about the. I need to start. I I'm going to do 25 interviews next year. Oh wow! Okay. So is that every it's, two weeks? Yeah, it is. So I, I always used to, I, I always try and have a two-week schedule. And this year, I managed 17 out of 25. Because I think through the middle of the year, middle of the year I just went, screw it. 
yeah um it's like covid and depressing and 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 stuff can't be bothered and then um i got back in the saddle um two weeks is a pretty good schedule for uh for interviews i mean you know it's i think it, it and certainly now that we've got you know i've got production a lot slicker so i've i've, I've been learning a lot from your good self about how to um get certain things in place and 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 make that sort of stuff work so that, that's all been really really helpful um so yeah i think if we can keep that i mean it's not the the the, the pace that you keep up with this one um with the well, let's be honest like I, as you wrap around it let's be honest i i just i just throw an article up and and people vote on it we talk about it it's, that's it that's the prep for this show well yeah it's it's it's, <laughs> it's a, you make it sound so simple and so easy but it's really not not the amount of stuff you uh you um, you put together with the lab and, and all this as, as well. It's uh, there's a lot there. Yeah, so, well, we try, we try, <laughs> and you do very well at it. Human factors content. <laughs> well, hey, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of itching to start. We we got a, a good show. Um, I'm wondering if we just start end a couple minutes early, wrap a couple minutes yeah, early, that, and then you know call it one of those one of those episodes and then we get started on the, the post show thing all right let's make it so all right so um one more time just for everybody you know dancing with my boom so just make the most of the uh the, the interacting with the equipment exactly exactly I need to put, all right <laughs> only if there's a problem they have i need to oil the springs so. <laughs> oh you know what i didn't do hang on i just need to uh, i need to um, one thing before we start. Uh, okay, and we just got the notification in Discord, so I think we are good to go. All right. I forgot. That's why we give it a 30-minute pre-show. And also, why is that there? Okay. Okay, and we'll be right back right after this with the main show. So stick around. We're going to have a good old time. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. What's going on? It is episode 229. We're recording this live on December 16th, 2021. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today across the pond by Mr. Barry Kirby. Good evening. Good evening. Good afternoon, everybody watching live. Thank you. We got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about building human robot relationships through the power of music and dance performing arts. And later, we're going to answer some questions from the community about the ethics of working for companies that encourage detrimental behaviors uh, and how to improve morale in companies and in teams. But first, we've got some programming notes and a community update for you. Uh, just if you're watching live or listening uh, early Friday, you can join us on Friday, December 17th. That is tomorrow as of the time of this recording at 1 p.m. Eastern uh, for our first ever HFES presidential town hall. I'm going to be sitting down with uh, Chris Reed and Carolyn Summerick. Um, and we are going to talk about the latest trends in human factors. Chris is going to kind of give a State of the Union uh, address about HFES, and we're going to take some questions from everybody listening in uh, and who has submitted questions. It's going to be a great time. Lots of people going to be there. 
We're going to be across live across all of our platforms over here at Human Factors Cast, as well as the HFES official channels. You can find it on their YouTube, on their uh, Twitter, on their Facebook. So we're kind of all over the place. So you can find it anywhere on either our channels or their channels. Uh, and then just to remind everyone, uh, our upcoming holiday schedule here. So uh, this is our last live show of 2021. Kind of insane to think about it that way. Uh, but this is our last normal show. We'll uh, have another show for you later this month. Uh, this is going to be dropping on the 30th. Next week, we're going to be off for the holidays. On the 30th, we're going to have a show drop for you about every single Human Factors news story of 2021. It's going to be a long one, so you're going to want to strap in for that. And then on January 6th, we'll be back with another live episode with a story chosen by you all. Uh, speaking of the story, um, this story tonight was actually a tiebreaker. We had a, a three-way tie in our Patreon. And uh, go figure that the tiebreaker goes to the social thoughts. So, Barry, this is the part of the show where we talk about Human Factors news. So I say we get into it. Let's go. Yes, like I said, Human Factors News. Barry, what is the story for this week? So this week we're talking about building human-robot relationships through music and dance. And I'll apologize now for any laughter I get into as we go through this. When was the last time you felt a deep and meaningful connection with a robot? When was the last time you had a deep and meaningful conversation with a robot? When was that last time you trusted a robot with your most pressing secrets? Part of the problem is that robots generally just do whatever they've been programmed to do and for a human there's typically no feeling that the robot is in the is in the slightest bit interested in making any sort of kind of non-functional connection probably because it's simply not in their programming this is a real challenge when it comes to trust in robots and a team from georgia tech uh, center for music technology have partnered with the kennesaw uh, state university dance department on a forest of improving robot musicians and dancers who interact with humans to explore creative collaboration and the establishment of human-robot trust. As robots get more complicated, there's more expectation that they'll be able to interact with humans socially. That gap between what is technically predictable and what is meaningfully predictable by the end user can get very, very wide, which is why a more abstract kind of trust becomes increasingly important. Music and dance may not uh, be the way to make that happen for every robot out there, but it is certainly an interesting place to start. Nick, have you, A, watched the video? And uh, I guess the um, listeners will see the uh, the link to the, the article in the, in the show notes, and I encourage everybody to go and watch the video. Nick, have you watched it, and what do you think? I've watched the video. Um <laughs> So look, here's here's the thing. Uh, the the video is an interesting experiment for for human robot interaction. Um, I think it is worth going and watching to see exactly what we're talking about here. Um, so it is literally a forest of robots and these uh, dancers dancing in between them, interacting with them, doing. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this live on air here so i'm going to describe it for everyone listening on audio uh i am i am doing interpretive dance with my boom microphone and caressing it uh like they're doing with the um with the robots it's 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 an interesting experiment and i really hate to leave it there but um i think my biggest question about this type of research is where is the application and i can see 
where this might increase trust in in automation and robotics. Uh, but this is this is kind of crazy. Um, what <laughs> what are your initial takeaways of this thing? Um, I guess just to paint that picture a little bit more. Um, they're not even I said not even they're not like humanoid robots or anything like that. They are literally I guess articulated arms as a better expression. So a, almost a single arm on a podium. And there's a number of them um, that create this forest of idea. And then these dancers who are doing very, I would say, very traditional dance, almost like ballet, very expressive expressive movement around them. It's an interesting concept. I struggle with 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 art anyway, much to my elder daughter's um, annoyance. But this, I guess it's, it's not my bag. Um, and I struggle to sort of see why how what does this actually do you're not going to go down to the um the car assembly line and start dancing with the uh the uh, the, the 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 welding machine that's that's putting the car together um so it, it is very conceptual it is is very very fresh um well i, I struggle i have to say let, let me okay you know what? I, I was going to save the discussion about the article until the very end, but you brought up a great point. You're not going to dance with the construction machine that's putting together the car, but you are. You really are. You're performing a dance in which they perform an action and then you move out of the way to let them perform their action. And then you come in and do your action. And so the, it's it's a metaphor. The dance is a metaphor for interacting with robots in a way where you are teaming with them to create something or to perform a task. And so that was going to be my takeaway from this article at the very end of this. But since All you've right. mentioned that exactly, <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. It's we can go off script a little bit. That's fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, well, let, let, let's just quickly stay off script then because <laughs> let's go. Why not? We're already off the rails. Let's go. You're not interacting. You're not interacting with them. You're getting out of their way. They uh, they're performing their set actions, and so in that uh, you know in the um, on the production line, you know what uh, what they're going to do, and um, well, you've got a fair idea what they're going to do, and you're getting out of their way to let them do their thing. It's they have no real cognizance of you in this relationship, and I think this is what this is alluding to as well is that the, there is no um, re true relationship because even in even in this uh, this dance, um, really the it, it is the machines doing the robots doing what they're doing and the the humans almost having a fantasy that they've got a relationship going whereas actually the robots still don't care they just look a bit more elegant right now um, right now but but well, think about yeah. in the future think about in the future where these systems actually adapt and react to uh operator actions right because i mean th th this type of technology exists in uh workplaces where like, let's say there's there's some danger with moving parts that, you know, like, let's say a big robot arm is swinging across the floor and it doesn't want to clothesline, you know, a worker. And mm -hmm. so it might stop in its tracks. So that way, because uh, it detects a worker. And so the worker will then detect that movement and the stop of the robot arm, get out of its way and then go. Right. So it is almost a dance where the computer might anticipate something or the robot, I should say might anticipate an action from the worker, the operator, the user of the robot, if you will. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, so it, I think it could be a dance. I, I get, I get the merit. I, I get it. So I guess 
to take a step back, then I think for for the sake let, let's let's dive into the uh, into these human yes. factors issues here. Uh, should we should we try and just walk through what human human robot interaction is? Let's let's talk um, about the outline. Then, so let's let's talk about human robot yeah. interaction, what it is, and then we'll get to trust in robots and automation. Uh, thank you for reining me in and getting us back on track. <laughs> it's um, a pleasure to come here. So, so let's let's break down. Um, human-robot interaction here. And this is from, I think, a Sheridan article from 2016. So the uh, basic premise here is that human-robot interaction can be divided roughly into four areas of application. We can kind of talk a little bit about each of these individually. Um, but you have supervisory control of robots in these sort of performance or routine tasks. Those are like the you know, uh, putting putting this thing from here to there. We can talk about the examples in a minute. I want to get through the four types. Uh, yeah. Remote control of space, airborne, terrestrial, and undersea vehicles. Then you have the third area of application, which is kind of the automated vehicles where humans are a passenger. And then lastly, you have human-robot social interaction. Uh, and I think this is firmly where our story falls. But I do want to back up and kind of talk about these do you want to give some examples of some of these maybe we can talk through them together yeah so the the human supervisory so the the first one you mentioned the human supervisory control um i mean that is basically what we were talking about in um in the warehouses um and doing some of these tasks um they, i guess they're more commonly called as telerobots and they they they've got a limited function uh, limited action based on a computer program so it's it's assembly lines it's it's moving packages around it's mail it's medicines etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but when you go into the, the remote control of space, airborne, terrestrial, and undersea vehicles, um, they are they're a, they're a, a more um, more in depth thing. So they're they're teleoperators, and so they're really doing their mobility tasks in the remote uh, physical environment. But it, but they're being remotely controlled by uh, by a human with that human input. Um, so then you've got automated vehicles, which I think um, a lot of us are um, very familiar with. So it's your, it's your commercial aircraft with its, um, with its autopilot. It's your, you know, the rail vehicles that are largely um, running automated with just human in, in a supervisory capacity or just literally as a passenger. Um, and then you get down to what we're talking, talking about tonight: this human-robot social interaction. Um, and then providing entertainment, teaching, so things where you, this idea of the, almost the co-robot sort of idea, it could be toys, it could be therapeutic animals, um, something that is is trying to um, exhibit an, an amount of empathy between, or a bit, at least try and establish a relationship between the two that is more than just a servant um, leader type, um, servant master type uh, type relationship. Yeah, I want to hit a couple points here. So you you brought up the supervisory control robots, and I think there's a important thing, uh, important definition encapsulated here that we were kind of talking about, where it's capable of sensing its environment and its own joint positions and communicating that information back to a human operator. And as we're kind of talking about trust in automation and in human robot teaming, that's where I was saying I think this um, this story actually plays in well. Because if you look at that performance of putting together things on the assembly line, that is a dance, right? If you if you think about the performance of um, uh, when you think about the remote control of these vehicles where you are providing an input, like let's say 
to a helicopter on Mars. We have a whole episode on that. If you are communicating to that uh, robot or that device, you are then expecting it to perform some output. And then it will, you know, has automated systems on board that perform its own actions. And then it reports back to you. And then you must react to its actions. And so it is a dance between these two. Uh, see, I'm, I'm trying to link everything back to a dance. Uh, I, I, see, I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> it's tenuous, but I, I, I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> no, I think you are right, though. If you, if you see, a, a, you know, that dance as a, as, a, as a choreographed interaction between two things then then yes and there is that um action reaction um uh type approach um yeah i'll i'll, I'll let you have it all right thank I'm, you i i appreciate you letting me have that one so Christmas. yes <laughs> in, in thank you <laughs> so in this in this specific article though we're talking about uh this this performance art between dancers and robots and we're talking about trust in this context and what I, I, I get the, um, the appeal of this and I appreciate what they're doing. So here I am trying to defend the whole thing and then, <laughs> now I'm going to tear it apart. So <laughs> the, <laughs> look, the, it's interesting because I'm not sure whether or not these are pre-programmed actions or if there are actual sensors on board that are reacting to the dancer's performance because like in some ways, this requires a, 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 a ton of trust because you have the dancers who are uh, effectively caressing these robot arms with many, many joints and pinchable areas. And so that requires a lot of trust for you to put your hand in the right spot so that way your hand doesn't get pinched. Mm -hmm. Like it requires an insane amount of care. And if the robot can react to where the human is, then that would indicate some trust, right? It's not no longer just a choreographed back and forth. It is a uh, symbiotic relationship where one action informs the actions of another thing, which in this case is the robot. And um, I think that has a lot of value when you look at trust in automation. Do we want to, let's break down trust in automation or robots really, and uh, kind of what's the state of things, right? And kind of what affects the trust? Yeah, so when we look at um, trusting robots, I mean, I think I, culturally we are massively, I would say, flavored or um, or influenced by what we see. I mean, we, we see robots more, more so in movies, don't we? Um, so in any sort of movie, and generally robots go bad in movies. Um, so everything from what, what happened on the the Alien, and well, pick a pick a Hal on two thousand one, um, yeah. 2001 Space Odyssey, um, all the way through to um, to more modern films. So, but fundamentally, we've got to look at what affects trust between us and uh, us in a system or us in a robot. And it breaks down to three main areas. So the first one is the system properties. And so th this is just looking at the, si at the robot as a system. And so just how reliable is it? We, we generally hold um, robotic systems or any sort of um, um, computer systems, to be fair, to a higher standard than we do ourselves. So we we expect um, robotic systems to be almost infallible, um, whereas we are, we're quite happy with the fact that humans are fallible, which is interesting. So we we systems have to be reliable. They, any system faults shouldn't be um, shouldn't you know just shouldn't happen, or they should be easily identifiable. Um, the system should act in a predictable manner. 
So it shouldn't do anything um, that, that's like uh, out of left field or anything like that, which is going to be a problem when we get into artificial general intelligence and it starts doing things that we're not expecting. But actually, in hindsight, you could probably break down why it did it why it's done what it's done but it should act in a predictable manner um and it should be intelligible and and anything that it's doing it should be transparent you there should be um the decisions that it makes or um any actions that it does um should be immediately transparent about why it's done what it's done and it should be um applicable to the level of automation that we're playing with and so obviously we're going for this human robot social interaction um do you want to chat a bit about the uh, properties of the operator yeah, I can jump into those. I think I, I do want to make one point on kind of the system properties. We are sort of analyzing all these things in in our heads as we're looking at a robotic system or an autonomous system. And it's us as human factors practitioners are breaking this down into these individual components because these are all the things that are going on in our head as yeah. we're processing this live, watching these robotic uh, interactions happen, right? So so all this is happening automatically. We're just trying to break it down. From the operator side of things, there are certain attributes associated with individuals that may impact how trusting you are of an autonomous system or a robot, where things like how, you know, your propensity to trust, how, how likely are you to trust things to begin with? Um, Sort of your self-confidence. Are you, are you going to walk up to a robot because you're very self-confident? Or are you going to be a little bit hesitant because you're not quite sure in your ability to interact with that thing? You know, if, if you are very confident in your abilities, you might walk right up to it and say, I can, I can do this. Where you, you know, somebody else might say, I need to watch somebody else do this before I even attempt. Um, and then you also have sort of the individual differences in, in individuals and culture. So, you know... I might look at a robot and say, hell yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go dance with this thing. I'm going to put my hands right up next to its joints and hope that it doesn't pinch my fingers off. <laughs> and, and, uh, you might go, oh, I'm going to watch Nick do this because, uh, <laughs> I don't want my Absolutely. fingers pinched off. Yeah. Um, and then you have culture too, right? Like different cultures look at robotics differently. There are some that might see robotic entities as abominations, uh, of, of nature and you might see others like Western industrialized cultures who might view them as uh, saviors in some cases for certain tasks. Right. I think that that gamut varies widely across you know, the world. And so those will absolutely impact how we view robots and how how likely we are to trust them. And then there's environmental factors, um, which is kind of everything else did you want to talk about anything i only have one thing listed here but is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of yeah, environmental factors i mean not not really i mean that yes there is the there's the risks around um you know the environment that you're working in and and how that works the other bit actually just to loop back just to the operator properties the because you make a really good point about the self-confidence in being able to go up and, and talk to these things um but it actually might there's also an element of the other side of that as some people being um, who are not self-confident actually being more confident with a with a robot because they know it isn't human, and so the people who struggle with with relationships, um, with human to human relationships, um, might find actually human to robot relationship um, much more uh, much easier to do. And there is some uh, people at the moment, I believe, who've like married robots and things like that, which um, yeah, I mean clearly they've got lots of trust um, in in 
in robot in, in that um, in that environment. But it's um, yes, I think there's th- this whole human machine relationship um, is is going to be one of these one of these key factors about um, it, it could break down in the entire society. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so let's let's get back to the article because when when I was going through these articles, I looked at this and and said this would be a great way for us to talk about human robot interaction or trust in automation. And we did that. <laughs> now we're left with the article. And I like, we, we've been pretty hard on this article. Admittedly, <laughs> I've been trying to give it the benefit of, de- of the doubt here. I do want to mention a couple points here though, that, you know, um, just kind of illustrating the differences between the way humans form emotional connections and the way that, uh, we form emotional connections with robots or, you know, whatever. But here's here's the thing is that us humans, we tend to trust other humans by having that emotional connection with them. It's it's the reciprocity. Um, and this is something that robots are not great at. This is, you know, so the more a robot can sympathize with somebody and empathize with somebody, then it's more likely that there's going to be a mutual trust. There's there's got to be a, some sort of mutual understanding about communication and predictability between the two parties, right? So I'm talking to you, Barry, and I, I would expect you to come to a conversation like this as we're talking on a podcast with well-thought-out uh, points about an article on human-robot interaction and dance performances. And... Uh-huh. If That's you were to come to this conversation not well prepared, then right. maybe not the best example. <laughs> Look, I expect you to come to the podcast and talk about yeah. something in a yeah. in a way that's intelligent and entertaining. And if you were to come to this and kind of be monotone the whole time and maybe not even bring up some of these points that we did, uh, then I I would lose a little trust in your ability to you know be a co-host on the show. So. That is some sort of expectation. Now, it's different when you have robots. You have some sort of expectation with how they perform. And if they don't perform in that way or don't react in the way that you expect them to, it's going to be you're going to lose some trust in it. Um, that's one point that I want to make. Are there are there any other takeaways from this article that you want to talk about? I put kind of like everything else in here, but that was kind of the one that I wanted to touch on. Yeah, I think the, I mean, fundamentally, I think, yes, we have been probably quite hard on hard on the article. And, you know, we were making some um, comments um, earlier about, you know, where does this this type of research get funding from and, and this and this that and the other. But we have, when we've looked at other technologies in other podcasts, um, other podcast episodes, we have acknowledged that every bit of research has to start somewhere. And so there is an element of this. It's a different way of looking at this idea. There is an absolute um, need to understand that um, that relationship between robots and, and humans, because I think one of the words that we've both used quite a lot tonight is, or today, is is mutual, a mutual understanding, a mutual trust, a mutual engagement. And this is what, for me, is fundamentally missing out of this and why we're just not there yet, because... To have an emotional connection, yeah, that means you have to have a that mutual shared understanding of an experience or um, of an activity or something like that to have some shared empathy. Robots just simply don't have that. Um, they don't have it in a way that is um, 
bought together as a meaningful experience for them. Therefore, you can't share that experience. They may they may have it in their memory bank, so it'll it'll be stored in on a on a hard drive somewhere. Um, but it isn't something that we're not there yet with that level of emotional intelligence for them. So right. we will always have that um, leader servant relationship with them. When we get to that point where they can start, um, you know, interacting with us and really, I guess, make us think, make us maybe be able to put a, a point across or something like that that makes you go, oh, okay. Um, that's when we're starting to get somewhere. But at the moment, yeah, I think the, um, I'd like to go and see this live. I'd like to go and see how they're doing it and and do that because I don't think the video or the article really truly does it justice. Um Either that or it's just going to be really cool to go and see. Um, it would be right. Yeah, I, I think trip. it's it's a it's it's a, it's novel. It's and from that perspective, I think it's it is good. Um, I I just would I think it, it probably needs another ten years. Yeah, I do want to touch on that empathy. So to give an example from this exact performance, you have uh, you have the dancers with the forest, but then you also have another robot that is like strumming the guitar as a human. Uh, fingers the board. And so you have um, the the trust between the human and the robot to the, the, the human is trusting the robot to strum the guitar. And if the robot doesn't strum the guitar, then the human's going to be disappointed. And it's like, why didn't you do that? Well, it was pre-programmed to do it. Why didn't you do it? The other, the opposite empathy is not true, right? If, if yeah. they strum the guitar and it's just an open chord instead of um, you know, uh, uh, the human didn't. The human actually put a chord versus not. The robot doesn't care. The robot's not going to be upset exactly. that the human doesn't yeah. do it. They're like you said. They're just going to log it in their bank and call it a day. So yeah. yes, we have a long way to go. But I think from the human side, we are learning a lot about how we trust robots. And um, I, I guess I get the merit of this research. <laughs> Which is not where we started, so that, that that's not, not where a, we started. That's where we ended up. It's the journey, progress. yes, it's the friends and the robotic friends that we made along the way. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you to our patrons this week, and uh, actually, thank you to everyone this week because we did have a tiebreaker. Um, thank you to our friends over at IEEE Spectrum for our news story this week. If you follow, if you want to follow along, we do post the links on our to the original articles. I can't talk tonight, man. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Post the original yeah. articles on our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us in our Slack or Discord for more discussion on these stories. We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we'll be back to see what's going on around the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. 
That's right. Huge thank you, as always, to our patrons, especially I want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff, Michelle Tripp. Uh, we're talking about Patreon. I do want to talk about some of the other fun stuff that's not kind of mentioned in that video, or maybe it does. I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, but we do have, <laughs> I know this one's not mentioned in there. We do have full audio versions of the show. So what you're listening to live um, is the full audio version. So if you're not listening live, we do some editing, post-processing. And we have a pre-show and a post-show that our patrons get access to. Of course, if you join us on the live stream, you can see that and, and you can hear that. Um, but our patrons get that full audio version. So if you're an audio-only version listener and you want more of that type of content, we have those. We also have weekly Q&As. Uh, so we, we have those dropping every week. Some weeks are quieter than others, and that's okay. We want just to provide an opportunity for people to you know, ask questions. And this could be anything. This could be anything from like, hey, Barry, what, what's your favorite ice cream? To, uh, hey, I have this really complex problem I need for school uh, done, and you guys can help. It literally is a range that you can ask us there. It is meant to be an ask us anything, and we are there as your personal advice respondents. Um, and we do share those with the entire lab, so you get some varying opinions there. <laughs> you also get early access to the show. We dropped the show a little bit, uh, a couple hours early for our patrons every Thursday night. Uh, and then it goes live for everyone else. And then we also always have bonus content going on. So like when we did the show refresh, we did a, um, you know, we dropped the artwork that we were considering for the refresh. Uh, on Patreon first and got their feedback. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you want to donate a little bit to the show, help us cover some of those costs to do like the website hosting domain, the tools that we use, we don't pocket any of the money. It's, it all goes back into the show. So thank you all so much for uh, keeping the show running. We really appreciate your continued support. All right. We're going to switch gears and get into this next part of the show. We like to call it came from it came from that's right. It came from. We're gonna keep it a little shorter this week. We got two of them. Uh, this week it's all Reddit, and this is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. If you find these answers useful, give us a like wherever you're at to help other people find this content. So we got two of them tonight. Let's get into the first one. First one is something I find really interesting, fascinating. Here, this one is by Jack WM on the user experience subreddit. Is it ethical to accept a job offer for a betting company? They go on to write, I've been job hunting for a while, getting to the final interviews, but rejected at the last minute. A sports betting company that I won't name is offering me a UX job with great pay and benefits, but some of my friends think it's shameful to be trying to improve the user experience for gamblers. I'm on the fence. On one hand, a job's a job. On the other hand, I don't want to be a part of the problem. The company themselves said, says they empower in-control gamblers to entertain themselves and that people are responsible for their own decisions. But problem gambling is still a significant problem and not going anywhere, especially with online gambling growth. I could really use some advice about this and would love to have a discussion about it if it's the right thing to do or not. What are your thoughts? Barry, I want to expand this to, you know, beyond gambling. I want to talk about sort of the ethics of designing for dark patterns and like what would happen if you were instructed to design a dark pattern. So I, I'm going to let you take this one away. Thanks for that. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think from a purely professional perspective, there is there is some really cool stuff here. There's there's the opportunity to get into some real culture, behavior sort of elements, and there's going to be some really, depending on what your what the UX that they're trying to get you to create. With like say, it's not even just gambling. If you're into like say you mentioned dark patterns, but then there is also you know there's like um, the sex industry has loads of websites that all require UX design and and et cetera et cetera et cetera. On the one hand, you've got um, things that. And it's all about perception as well, because it's they say that um, you know they, they're friends. I, I think it's shameful, but actually, there's a vast majority of people in in this sort of um, who, who who work. Uh, sorry, who engage with you know gambling websites, gam- gambling things, who don't have a problem, who enjoy it. It's it's their thing. It is a there is a subset of society that does find it a, a problem. People gamble on anything. So yeah, it's I've got no real. Uh, real thought in this because you could say you know i work in the defense industry um part of what we do in the defense industry is um you know we talk we talk about things like lethality and stuff like that on a um like applying kinetic effect which is all buzzwords for well killing people and and stopping other people from killing what we consider the good guys and that type of thing which you know you could you could talk about the morals and ethics of, of that type of thing and i regularly do when whenever we interview somebody we, I have that discussion with them because it's, you know, it, it, it's not your run-of-the-mill type of job. So I think you've got to be perfectly clear with yourself about how you feel about working in the, in the, this sort of arena. Um, the job will get done. Somebody will pick up that job regardless. Um, it's like most things, the, the jobs, um, some, somebody, will, somebody will do the job. So... I guess you, the battle you've got is, is it something that you're happy to do? Um, or is it something that um, that you're not? And if you're not happy to do it, or you're, um, or you feel embarrassed to admit what you do to, you, you know, in your friendship group or whatever, then maybe it isn't the job for you. Maybe it is something that you should be um, uh, moving on from and going to going somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's all about whether you can solve it within your own conscience. What do you think? Yeah, I'm along the same lines, right? So I worked in the defense industry for a while, and I was very clear with uh, my employer and the contractors that I was working on that I would not work on anything that would help take the life of another human being. Like, I I made that abundantly clear, and that was one of my conditions on being hired, right? I don't want to work on anything that will help take the life of another person. And so the stuff that I worked on was very much defense-focused. Like, it was very much protection um, you know, protecting our soldiers from, uh, from other things, our war fighters. Uh, and so it was, it was one of those things where I could be proud of the work that I was doing because it was, it, it was, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be careful about what I say here. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was in, in service of protecting. Now, you know, I, I did work on an Intel systems and so you might, then say, well, the more intel we have, the better decisions that we can make about that. And when it comes to that, it's like, well, if if you gather enough information, you can reduce the the amount of collateral damage. Um, and so it's like it is it is a really challenging game of how you rationalize things in your head. Ultimately, I got out of the defense industry because I couldn't handle grappling with that stuff anymore. Right. Oh, and yeah. so. um I, I think it is an interesting question to ask yourself. Now, 
the fact that you're asking this to begin with, I think, is makes you very qualified for the job, because if you're in that position, then you might say, OK, well, you kind of have the ultimate authority of how it would impact these people. Like, do you want to design it easier to use or do you introduce you know, ease in some aspects, like maybe ease of getting your money, but then difficulty in sort of um, placing the bets because you have to go through all these, you know, I understand the risk associated with this. Gambling is a risk. I, I understand, you know. So there are different ways in which you as a UX designer can help um, protect people. And, and I think in these situations where you might have these behaviors that might be uh, susceptible for certain humans, right? Like gambling addiction or something like that, you might rationalize it by saying, well, I can put in checks to say, I've, I've put in things that will help it to be less likely that addicts will gamble, but more likely that non-addicts will gamble. And you have to do that research. I don't know. It's not my domain, but that's something that you could do as somebody in a UX position, right? It is all a gamble. See, we did that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was that was good. Um, I mean, the fact that, like I say, the fact that they're asking the question in the first place um, actually puts you in a really good position um, because it means that they're that you're actually thinking about it in uh, in that way. Because again, like I said, when I ask people in in interviews if they I turn around and say, Look, are you happy with this sort of uh, with this sort of world? This idea that you could the the effect you could have on lethality, um, the, the fact what you're doing could end up killing people one way or another. If they just turn around and say, yeah, yeah, of course that's not a problem, that's also a bit of a trigger because I don't think you should be oh, entirely yeah. comfortable. you shouldn't be entirely comfortable with it um, because of the nature of what it is. Um, so if you're almost too blasé, but if you're also too hungry, it's it's there's a sweet spot um, about making sure you've always got that thing in the back of your head going is that right is that the right thing to be doing um yeah it's a interesting position i agree all right let's get into the last one here so this is uh trying to figure out what companies human resources are doing to keep their workplace happy and motivated towards work this is by abby tam on the user experience subreddit they go on to write looking for ideas that can motivate employees and make them more productive what kinds of things can human resources do to keep workplaces healthy? Now, in current situation, most of the people work remotely, and it's really difficult to keep them connected towards companies towards the company's goal. Most of the people are overworked and exhausted. How can we de-stress them so they feel fresh? Uh, this is a this is more of like an HR question and a and a company morale question, but. It's important to know, especially if you work on a smaller team of like a, a researcher with designers and uh, manager, product managers, developers, there's different levels of team morale. And I thought, you know, we thought this was a good question to answer. So, Barry, from from a smaller perspective and a company perspective, how do you improve morale? So given where we're at the moment with the pandemic, uh, remote working is going to be a thing. In fact, I've just had a, a thing come through the, uh, right now saying that we might be heading back into a, a lockdown in the new year or something akin to a lockdown in the new year. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, the you, So the first thing I always start off with is making sure that, um, that your team has got what they need. Um, have they got, and we, we did it right at the start of the pandemic when it, when, it, when it kicked off, do you have the right tools to do the job? So you're not... 
um, working off a um, uh, off an ironing board? You know, right? do you have a desk? Do you have your laptop? Do you have the right sort of screen? So basically, the fundamental good ergonomics of, of office working, um, because we've seen so many people now are starting to get them sort of injuries, the Marisai injuries from suboptimal use. Then we've got to certainly one thing I've been quite passionate about is almost transferring the things that you would do in the office that are are not work focused, but uh, really, I still think quite keen to into having the team coming together. And that is the equivalent of going to have a cup of coffee as a team and having that general chat. So I, I try and kick off in the morning, um, say a couple of times a week with uh, with a Zoom or a Teams or um, whatever you're using. Um, just to be able to sort of say, you know, what you're doing today, you know, what did you go to last night? How was the uh, the new Spider-Man movie that came out uh, yesterday? And so no, spoilers. no spoilers. No spoilers. I'm good to see it, but uh, apparently they said it was really good. Um, and so the, you know, you've got to have that level of relationship, which we've forgotten. I think many people have forgotten through uh, through the lockdown that we're so focused on. If you're going on a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting, that you can have a Zoom meeting from nine o'clock till 10 o'clock, then you can have one from 10 o'clock till 10.30, then another one from 10.30 to 11. And you don't have any gap between them. You don't have that walking between meeting room, meeting room, and, and that type of thing. So it's about allowing people that, that sense of respite um, in between uh, the meetings that you would usually have. And then there's, the, there's that other side of the social interaction. So I think everybody's got a bit, uh, bit good at um, you know, Zoom quizzes. Um, so bringing, bringing your team together in the evening as if you go down to the pub after work and that type of thing. So trying to recreate that, um, that um, capacity. And notice none of that of what I've said is actually connecting you towards company goals. Um, that's all about making sure that your employees um, feel connected, that they feel part of them, um, them teaming behaviors that, um, that you would naturally use in the office. Or if you work for half decent companies, you do. Um, I have worked with one who tried to stop us from doing that and that didn't go well. Um, but the, you know, them, them human behaviors, as long, the best we can re- um, recreate them and make people feel like they're, they're valued in that way, then you're on a really good bedding to be able to go and then um, get them, empower them to do to do their job right in the first place. So what about you, Nick? What's your experiences with this? What do you think? Yeah, great points. Um, I do want to touch on the point that you made about making time for others. So w- with meetings, what I've done is I've tried to build into most meetings just like, you know, five, 10 minutes of camaraderie building. So it's not it's not listed as such. But mm-hmm. when I design meetings length, I am I am taking that into consideration. It is that, hey, how are you? How are things going? I know you just had a kid. How's that going? Like, you know, that type of thing. And so making sure that you have time for that is really important. I would say there are a couple different ways to look at this type of question. There's what do you do for new employees, new hires? to make them integrate with a team or what do you do for current employees that uh, maybe there's, there's some rationale or um, some uh, there's some problems with morale. Uh, And so there's, there's these questions that we need to answer. So let's take a look at the new hire, right? You pay them accordingly, pay them well, you give them, like you said, everything that they need and you invest in their time. So what I mean by that is understand that especially in a remote environment, if you're starting somebody up fresh in a remote environment, 
there are going to be huge roadblocks for that person. And you need to not only anticipate them, but solve for them. So for example, let's say there's a new person that's starting and you know they have a certain role within a company. You want to outline kind of like, hey, here are here as a manager, you might want to come to the table and say, hey, here's a list of like 10 people that you're going to want to talk to in the first four weeks. Um, and, you know, here's what each of them do. Come to them with kind of a roadmap of what they can expect for the first month, month and a half. That way there's a plan in place and they're not kind of sitting around twiddling their thumbs going, I don't know what to do. I just started at this company. I can't, it's not like I can go anywhere. No one's stopping by my office and telling me anything. I don't know what's going on. They have a plan in place and they can address it at their own leisure. Um, you know, give them kind of a laundry list of documentation to read on their free time. And that's boring, but then the, you know, actual human connections, those are important. And again, make sure that when they are having those connections that they build in time to really get to know that other person, do an informal introduction. Hey, I'm so-and-so, this is what I'm about. Okay. That's the new hire side. Now let's get into the, the team is together and morale is low and we need to do something to fix it. From an HR perspective, from a company perspective, I think it's really important for a company to have a roadmap of improvements that are listed for um, employees and have certain conditions be met to to get those right. Like, let's say you have a certain amount of surplus, you might want to give them all an extra day off a month, or if um, you know, just as like a wellness day or something. If you if you have uh, the means to, you give them the PTO that that they need, basically increasing their benefits without um, sort of costing the company a lot of money. Uh, or, or maybe it does cost the company a lot of money, but that, that return on investment is great because then you have employees that are well refreshed, they're not burnt out, that type of thing. Um, but having a roadmap and having those uh, continuous engagement events to kind of build company morale are really important, uh, especially especially when you have larger companies. Um, and and so that's that's my opinion on that. I don't know if you had anything else to add. No, I think we both um, covered all aspects of that that pretty well. It's just for me, it's fundamentally just remember that, pe- that your employees are people. Um, treat them as such, engage with them, in, and remember what it was like when you you were at that level. And um, and we need to make sure that we keep people uh, keep people engaged. But what if I inherited the company from my father, and um, you know, well, then you I never was at that level. Go and spend, go and spend the millions, and let, <laughs> let the people who know what they're doing run the business. All right. Well, why don't we? I think there's no other way to transition, so let's just get into it. This is what we call one more thing. It's where we just talk about one more thing. Barry, what do you got this week? So this week, I talked. If I've talked in the past couple of um, um, episodes about should I upgrade to Windows 11? I upgraded to Windows 11. How is it? And I'm distinctly underwhelmed. <laughs> It's, are, uh, are you? It's, are you? Hang on. Are you underwhelmed or whelmed? I think I was expecting amazing things, and it is amazing in the fact that it, it did install within twenty minutes, half an hour, um, with no touch word issues, um, and it's familiar enough that it works. But actually, there's a couple of. It's a bit smoother now. I was trying to explain it um, earlier that it feels lighter. That it feels a lot less process heavy, and and th- there's no, I've I've not looked at my 
any of the uh, the actual processing value of that, but it, just the way it looks and feels, it does feel like a lighter touch, which is quite neat. The one thing I huh. don't like about it is the they do center the um, the taskbar, so your um, start button is is, the, is in the center just to the left, but you can change that. It's the first thing I've done is actually change that, so it does all change to the left. So if you like having your start button in the bottom left hand corner, you can make that happen again. Um, but Good. generally, it it hasn't been the stress that I thought it was going to be. So that was one. And then the other thing I did last week was. Um, was it last week? Yes, no, it was last Friday. Um, give a presentation to a live audience. Um, large presentation, large lecture theatre. Um, still was only about at half capacity, so there was only 80, 85 people there. Um, but what a lot of fun it was. If I've been doing a lot of webinars and things like that uh, through Zoom and this, and this, that, and the other. But this was the first large presentation I've done probably in, in a couple of years. And it was it was so much fun. It was so nice to be able to sort of engage i mean everybody's wearing masks and stuff so there's still only limited interaction you can see the limited body cues but it was it was such a nice thing to do so that that's what i ended up my ended off my week last week and um i'm looking forward to doing more of that if we can do you know how i know you're a performer is because you feed off the audience and it's it's a symbiotic relationship between the audience and the performer where <laughs> yeah no it, it 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 so is because you're you sort of sit there and you I did a pre I did a, another presentation today, so I did a, a lecture for uh, for a university, and I've done two of these before, and actually in classrooms. I did did them a few weeks ago, and this one was up was online. The difference and the content was pretty much the same, so it was just for for a different cohort. Um, but how much harder it was, um, or not as engaging, not as um, interesting in many ways, because you weren't getting the questions, you weren't getting the eye contact, you weren't. Been, you couldn't work out whether you were pitching it properly and, and stuff like that. So I think a lot of kudos to a lot of the lecturers and, and things who've happened to been deliver a lot of this stuff online um, throughout the past two years because I don't think I could do it in the way that they've uh, managed to soldier through it. So, um, so are, yes. would you say it's because of a lack of trust with the automated systems going on with the... Is it is it like a dance? I was going to say, I clearly wasn't dancing enough with my audience or with my microphone. Um one one or the other, but uh, but yeah, nice link back. I like that. Thank you. All right, my my one more thing. Um, so we are getting to the point where uh, we need to spell out certain words in front of my son because they are uh, triggering in in one way or another. So <laughs> let's say um, there's a certain thing that he might want to watch on TV, like C A R S. Right. Yes. Uh, okay. We can't say that word, or else he will be immediately notified that that is a possibility. <laughs> and so, you know, or like, if we don't want him having too much screen time, hide the T A B L E T with the G A M E S. <laughs> so we have to we have to spell out all these things now. Um, and it's like I, I always thought it was one of those things that's funny as you see it in like television and movies, but actually doing it in practice is as uh, uh, also funny. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny for a bit, then it becomes really irritating and then they learn how to spell. Yo. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for that day. Yeah. And then, and then it all goes to rats again. So, but, uh, but no, it must be nice having that, that sort of, um, that sort of interaction where they, they, you, you, I don't know whether you've treated. We sort of did this with our kids. Sort of almost treated them like a social experiment. 
um, about what oh, you yeah. can get away with and, and what you can't. Um, and it's inter- it's so fascinating seeing them evolve and uh, reacting to the different uh, stimuli and the different triggers and stuff like that. Um, yes, it's it's good fun. Yes, children's are the world's greatest experiments. All right. Well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. Please join us tomorrow at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern for our HFES Presidential Town Hall. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the challenges in trust of trust in human-robot interaction, we invite you to check out episode 217, where we took a look at the newly announced Tesla bots and other humanoid robots that don't dance and what that might mean for your life. Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Slack or Discord communities. Visit our official website and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, you can leave us a five-star review. You can do that right now. Two, tell your friends about us. Three, if you have the money, consider don- consider supporting to us, but honestly, donate to somebody else. It's, it's the holidays. Just give it to somebody else in need. Uh, And as always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about pinching their fingers in robots? Well, you can always find me on Twitter at Baz underscore K or come listen to me on my podcast at 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, which is at www.1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me streaming on Twitch for office hours sometimes and uh, across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Okay, post-show. I'm going to put that up, but we're not going to have a post-show. I just wanted to tell you all, thank you for <laughs> hanging out with us. And thank you for sticking around with us uh, through the year. Um, genuinely want to thank everyone uh, who is watching or listening uh, live or not. Mm-hmm. We have people who watch this after the fact. And uh, if you're one of those people, thank you. Thank you. Genuinely, thank you. Um, I I don't think we'd still be doing this if no one listened. And the fact that people listen to this at all is still mind-boggling in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they must be very, very bored individuals. <laughs> you ever look at the numbers like, and be like, really? Really? <laughs> oh, yikes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, if you if you think about the number of listens and the number of hours of content that you've produced and the fact that people have listened to that much of your voice out there it's kind of um yeah that's quite um it's quite scary really it is all right uh we're gonna wrap it up here uh we will post something on the 30th uh it will be pre-recorded but it will look live so that will be fun um otherwise we'll be back on the january 6th 6th of january and uh the the um inaugural insurrection day so um hopefully not this next year (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's not do that all right well uh thank you everyone and uh we'll see you then bye everyone bye bye